Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We're also pretty good friends. We're such good friends that I let Ben take a moment out of every podcast to tell people where they can find his latest work. Ben, it's your time to shine. <laughs> is that is this really where I shine on the podcast where I repeat a list of a list that hasn't changed over the past year? It's changed. It's changed a little bit. I don't think it has. Uh, you can find. I, I'm not disparaging my my work. I'm just saying, like, it, it's sad that this is my moment to shine. It's like I, I pop a list out, and here we go through the motions. Uh, you can find my work at Car Driver, at Motor Trend, at uh, Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. It's the period of the podcast where I'm least likely to interrupt and um, and argue with you. I about. guess it is the period in the podcast <laughs> where I don't feel on edge. Exactly. Like I know what's I'm coming. So sorry that I make you, I put you on edge every every other conversation. <laughs> the rest of we the have. podcast is like a hummingbird directly beside my adrenal gland, just waiting to stab and peck at that juicy, juicy adrenaline nectar. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds about right. I think all of our listeners would agree with that. And we'll get into that after I plug some of the publications I've written for. I I hope that none of our listeners are surgeons listening to this in an operating theater because I can't imagine how jumpy it must make you. Do you think surgeons do listen to podcasts? I so a very close friend of mine is a surgeon and he listens to all kinds of things. So it, it would not surprise me. Okay. Well, if he wants to read something, you and your friend can read my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot, and some other publications, I'm sure. I can't remember what they are, which is way less professional than how Ben presented his bylines, his list of bylines recently. Um, so now not week, only am I – am I is it yeah. my time to shine, but I'm unprofessional while I shine? No, no. I'm the unprofessional one. Oh, OK. You set the standard. Well, I'm on edge now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I'm going to put you on edge because this week's episode is going to focus entirely on the recent LA Auto Show. Oh, yeah. We're, and so some this, of is the, a, this is a, a lightning round episode, right? Because Sammy is surprise, surprise, traveling again. <laughs> And uh, we needed, we wanted to, we didn't want to leave people hanging, so we're putting out uh, something fun while he is racking up sky miles. There, there. Am I racking up? Yeah, I guess I am. Um, Why are you recent? swimming to where you're going? I, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I presume Swim it was miles. You've never heard nautical nautical um, loyalty miles. You know, yeah. a nautical mile is eleven ninths of a land mile. Did you know that? No, eleven nine. Eleven ninths. Does that not seem like the most obtuse measurement? That's what a knot is. Yeah, it does. Imagine I, if you had like so you know how on a lot of car uh, clusters you can switch between miles and kilometers, like just, just, yeah, just yeah. a button. Why don't we have like other measurements? Like why don't we have knots? I know because you can use it for airspeed, right? Yeah. I mean the Mustang says land. Parsec is I don't know Parsec's kind of a isn't that there's a whole thing about that I guess that's true um, I remember I had a 1991 BMW E34 and it had a an early trip computer kind of thing and it was in the dashboard. What does that mean by early trip? Like it only worked at like six in the morning or something? No, great dad joke by the way. I uh-huh. um it it was a kind of a box like a square box the size of maybe two matchboxes on the dashboard. And you could use it to um, keep track of mileage, like trip mileage and stuff like that and and other things. But you could unlock it and access all of these other functions that were in it, but somehow 
were blocked off for most owners. There was like yeah. a series of codes that you would enter in and unlock it. And the reason I, I, this is kind of a long-winded setup, but you could do a bunch of cool stuff. Um, oh, the other interesting thing about this trip computer, Sammy, that you never see on a modern trip computer is that uh, you could tell it how far you had to go and it would tell you when you were going to get there based on your speed over the last, I don't know how many miles, but it wasn't like a nav system where it just knows where you're going. You would have to enter in like yeah. a value, like let's say you're driving 50 miles, yeah. you would enter 50 miles and then it would do calculations that would update based on your speed and would tell you how much more time it would take for you to get where you're going, which was really And this cool. is all part of a secret menu? That's part of a secret menu. I can't remember if that was a this secret all, menu function like, or not. We complained about how confusing and unergonomic and nonsensical like touchscreen infotainment systems are that sounds convoluted no this yes but it wasn't intended to be this way right like it was intended to be simple i was accessing they just left the code in they're like yeah "Yeah, well we can't remember. think of it like when you use your phone your android phone and you go into developer mode it's the same kind of deal and i remember using that feature i drove across the country and uh, i used that feature all the time and it was a lifesaver because it gave me something to look forward to but um the, the reason I'm bringing all this up is because there was, a, there was a fuel consumption metering feature on the system that would show yeah. you how many liters per hour you were consuming as though you were like in a jet and you were, you were burning jet fuel. Yeah. So I would always have liters per hour up on, up on the little screen and it just amused me so much. Anyway. That is, that is good. I mean, it, it, it does – there are a bunch of different ways to measure um, all sorts of metrics when, when it comes to our cars. And I just laugh at the ones that we've chosen. I mean, I think I like miles per gallon as a measurement. I think liters per hundred kilometers is a very bizarre one to me. Yeah, but if you ever if you ever find someone who likes liters per hundred kilometers, oh yeah, they won't shut up. Be prepared for them to like <laughs> overwhelm you with why it's better and more logical and how miles per gallon is stupid. Yes, I agree. It's, it is okay. Don't ever have um, that. If you're out there, listeners, don't ever have that conversation. It's not worth it. I agree. Um, anyways, we wanted to talk to you about the uh, the recent announcements at the LA Auto Show. There are five pretty big ones, I think. I'm going to start with what is probably the most exciting and interesting product that showed up at the LA Auto Show, and that's a new Porsche 911. It's called the Dakar, um, named after the off-road endurance race, and it is essentially an off-road-oriented 911. Okay, so, so it, this exists because... Porsche has had a, a racing presence in rally and off-road for a very long time, right? And They've had a racing presence in a lot of things. But I mean specifically in off-road and rally. And okay. they've there are a ton of tribute 911s that have been built to celebrate these racing efforts. And I think Porsche maybe got tired of seeing other companies make money off of that. And they're like, well, we can do it too. And their way of doing it is pretty much how every car company used to build crossovers back in the 90s where they yeah. just jacked up the suspension and put on some plastic body cladding. Yeah. And and voila, here's your Dakar, you know? It's, so, it's got two inches more ride height than a, a regular 911. That gives it seven and a half inches of ground clearance. Yeah, which That's is 1.2 inches more ground clearance. <laughs> so, okay. I'm, li- I'm still listening, like, with one ear, but I'm still listening. Um... Apparently, you can take it off-road or something like that, something um, up to 105 miles per hour in in some sort of off-road setting. That sounds dangerous. Okay, I need to correct myself. Um, It's not 1.2 inches of ground clearance in total. What happens is it's – Sammy, the the base – like in normal mode, the Dakar is two inches off the ground, right? Sorry, two inches higher off the ground for that – 
that um, what is it you said? Seven point seven point five is the max. Yeah. So in normal in normal driving, it's like five and a half inches off the ground. And then there's a hydraulic lift system that gives you Whoa, 1.2 hydraulic. inches. hydraulic. Yeah, it's not air suspension. It's hydraulic lift. But here's the thing. Like, if you're going to go hydraulic, why limit it to 1.2 inches? Why not yeah, go, like, go all the way. why not offer multiple stops? Like, why not hardcore, yeah. like, five, four inches and then a two-inch lift, you know? Anyway. We've seen some pretty wild hydraulic kits out there, man. We, I know we could have gone. We could have gone all the way, right? So apparently at its highest setting, it can drive up to 105 miles per hour. Yeah. Okay. But why not 106? And there's an off-road mode. There's an off-road drive mode. That's what you want. What happens at 106 miles per hour? Uh, It just won't go. It just will not. It won't make it. Okay. It's the same same drivetrain as the Carrera 4 GTS. That's pretty good, right? I like that. Uh, That means 470 horsepower and 420 pound-feet of torque. It's an automatic, not uh, manual as far as I can tell. And... um, it's creative. It's got some big knobby tires too. Come on. It's got. Uh, it's got knobby tires. It's got rear wheel steering, and active anti roll bars. And they made a. There's Those a bunch all of, sound like things that would break so badly <laughs> you get off road, right? Well, the thing is, like, as soon as you jump it, <laughs> it's gonna land on the nose, and it's gonna be bad. Like that's you know, like well, come on. But there's no weight in the nose of a 911. It should it should be pointed sky high when you jump it. I guess you've got a point there. I can't really argue against that. Thank um, goodness. It has a has a no rear seat because the hydraulic lift system is under the floor in the back, and they couldn't. Oh make, wow! The one killer feature of the 911, the rear seat, they has been removed. Yeah, it, but you can get a rally sport package if you live in Europe, and that gives you a roll cage and a harness and a fire extinguisher. But you can't get it in America because I guess burn baby burn. I don't know. What the, I don't know what the like attitude. I'm sure there's probably a rule about a caged car, and they would have had to get it tested and some yeah. kind of yeah, you know. Um, this car costs two hundred twenty-three thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. Uh, I would call that too much money generally. And but, I think that uh, for two twenty-three, I want the optional roof basket to be standard. Um, it's not standard. No, and neither is the oh, tent yeah, that goes it. on top of it. Oh, I know. Well, those all have to be. That's how Porsche really makes their money with the accessories. What's funny is the basket can hold ninety-two pounds of cargo while driving, which means you could not sleep in that tent while the vehicle while is underway, uh, <laughs> yeah. unless you are a person of smaller stature, in which case, or maybe you're keeping your kids up there because there's no back seat. I don't know. <laughs> I love that you want to use this as some sort of RV system. All I'm saying is, if I'm you know, like, let's say you're desert hunting and you're using that the top of the vehicle as a blind mm-hmm. and you have to suddenly chase down your prey, whatever it might be. I don't know. I'm not a desert dweller, so I I don't know what you'd be hunting out there. OK, but now we've got this uh, modern 911 Safari. Does that ruin the coolness factor of the old 911 Safaris or I think- this one's a, a bit dorky? I think that the market has proven that nothing can ruin the coolness factor of an old 911. Like <laughs> That's very true. They seem to be just reaching sky-high prices on a regular basis. Look, my 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 perspective is that um so you got to do something cool every once in a while to get to get people's attention. Um I think you and I have kind of criticized Porsche for for having kind of sterile or like boring kind of cars and car design. I, maybe I'm just making that up. Maybe I'm speaking for you. But it always feels like the 911 is the 911 is the 911. It's always it's always a, a solid product. But I think by offering something like the this Dakar, they're doing something unique and different and kind of catching our attention again. All right, let's let's move on to the next hit.
Um, the next interesting one, which kind of like uh, dropped the, it, it really dropped the beat when it showed up. This is the 2023 Toyota Prius. Um, the Prius has never been a cool car, and now <laughs> it looks kind of cool. I so podcasting is not a visual medium, which is going to make this segment a little difficult. Okay, yeah. But uh, it definitely the problem with the previous Prius is that it looked super weird. I didn't have yeah. a problem. I didn't have an issue with it. I like weird looking cars. Mm-hmm. I was happy that Toyota took a strange risk for no reason at all. I guess the Prius has a built in audience. And if you're going to buy a Prius, you're going to buy it. Right. Like it doesn't yeah. super matter what it looks like. But um the rear but it end, looked like a dorky car. The rear end, especially, was a really, really out there for for like for uh, a Prius. Mm-hmm. The new car kind of looks like something you would have seen in a video game in the early two thousands. I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a diss or something cool. It's like a it's like a flattened wedge, I guess. Um, I don't you know it's it's fine. I guess it looks neat. I guess we're celebrating the fact that the Prius looks normal again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I exactly. don't know. Like what are um, we you know, you shouldn't give someone a cookie for doing something they're supposed to do. You know what I mean? It's like to make the, they're supposed to make the Prius cool. Well, they're supposed to make cars people want to buy and and we're like, "Wow, they made a Prius people want to buy and everyone's shocked and it's like, "Well, that's been their job for 30 years now." You know, like <laughs> um Okay, let's talk about what what they have changed uh, beyond the styling, though, is that um, now there's a 2-liter engine instead of a 1.8-liter engine. Um, Does it it make 100 horsepower? No, it makes 194 horsepower. Additionally, the old nickel-metal hydride uh, battery will be replaced by a lithium-ion battery. There is an all-wheel drive system available. And Toyota says that with all of those changes, it will get... One more mile per gallon. Well, it's 70 more horsepower than the model that's going, the outgoing model. Um, The Prius Prime plug-in is still available, and it goes up to 220 horsepower, which is like almost 50% more than what we used to have. And uh, the range for that vehicle is now – is apparently going to be in the 40-mile range, I would say, on on battery alone. Wow. that's that's interesting. That's an interesting move from from Toyota, a company that has historically, you know, built a lot of plug, a lot of uh, hybrids, but not been so excited about EVs. And again, yes. um, the inside though, it's your typical Prius, which means everything's in the middle. I think that there's a little bit more of a gauge cluster in front of the driver now than in the past, which I appreciate because it's. I know you get used to it, but it's a little bit disorienting to get inside a vehicle that's completely center mounted yeah. and to try and like you're looking out over this flat expanse of the dash and there's just nothing in front of you. And that's an off putting sensation. And I understand they do that because they can sell it in their home market and the North American market easily without having to do too much reengineering of the interior. But still, you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, I actually find the interior in past generation Priuses to be one of the weakest parts of the car like i think they usually have it all kind of plasticky and and it can feel a little flimsy and ugly and um based on the photos that we've seen it looks like it's going a little bit more upscale um and maybe a better mix of materials in there another vehicle that has debuted at the um ellie auto show a couple of weeks or last week is the new fiat 500 remember the fiat 500 i do 
Well, now it's coming back. You remember uh, when in, Fiat in TV own- form only? Do you remember when Fiat dealership owners were told, "Hey, we're bringing the Fiat 500 over, and don't worry, we're going to have a whole family of Fiats that will eventually arrive, and you should make these big investments in your showrooms, and it's going to be great." And then everyone did that, and then it never happened. Yep, I have a a like a Dodge Chrysler dealership near me, Jeep dealership near me, and they did that whole hog like Fiat um studio i think they called it and then we got like three versions of the 500 we got the l the the x and the regular one and it did not work out so well for them and they still have this fiat like studio and just a bajillion wranglers around it (laughs) (laughs) so the, the the fiat 500 was not a bad vehicle it was not a great vehicle it was not reliable i think was really one of the problems that it had yeah and i think mini kind of ate its lunch for reasons I don't understand, I mean, I guess maybe the positioning of the brand was a little bit higher end. I keep saying little bit today. I gotta stop doing that. A little bit. Um, the EV though, I drove the original Fiat 500e. I want to say eight years ago, mm-hmm. and it was at the LA when Auto Show. Compliance when it was a compliance car. Yes, and I drove it in California at the LA Auto Show, which is one of the few places where it was sold, and it yeah. was fun because it had like 400 pound feet of torque. <laughs> it was some yeah. crazy, some crazy number. I'm sure it wasn't that high, but it was it was pretty nuts. And this was back when uh, EV technology, you would get that huge boost off the line that would like, once you had gathered speed, would very quickly fade away. Not like modern EVs that don't do that at all. But uh, the 500E was kind of like that. And I remember Sergio Marchoni said, he he publicly asked people not to buy the 500E because Fiat lost a ton of money on every model they had to sell. And he wanted to keep sales numbers low. So that's a great legacy (laughs) for this new (laughs) vehicle. And now they're building it again, an EV only um 500e we don't really have any information about the battery models or the or the powertrain that's expected in it i think um based on european specs it will have more than 42 kilowatt hours of of battery juice there and might have more than 117 horsepower which will make it kind of fun to drive but i do love the fact that this legacy of this product the 500e to me i will never forget sergio marcioni the 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 ceo um, saying, please do not buy this car. We're losing so much money on it. Um, they just basically had to offer it in order to sell cars in, in I think, carbs, carb states, right? Yeah, um, it's, it, it was yeah. an awkward situation. I mean, you had a lot of um, a lot of car companies that were in that situation in that era, but Chrysler was kind of the only one that called it out for what it was, and mm-hmm. they were playing the game without playing the game, you know? Yeah. I have to admit, though, like the 500D makes me happy. Uh, the 500 in general makes me happy. I think I always see one. Whenever I see one, I'm always like, nice. They went for a car that made them feel like cool or special or or different. Um, it, to me, there was something just joyful and quirky about it that I think the Mini or other really cheap subcompacts like the Spark or Micra don't have, right? Yeah. Um, another product that showed up is another electric vehicle, the Hyundai Ioniq 6. We've been talking about the Hyundai Ioniq 6 for a while, um, and now it's finally coming. It's a very interesting-looking sedan, which is important to mention because we have no idea how to classify the Ioniq 5. I think it's a <laughs> it's a crossover. The thi- the, and, it's, <laughs> and now we're going for sedans again. Well, what's interesting to me is how different this looks from the 5. Yeah, the, I think that's Hyundai's strategy um, um, design-wise. I think they is it want just to doing have, something different every time? <laughs> yeah, I think they want to have each nameplate have its own design language. I didn't know that that was the case with the Ionic lineup, but it seems like that's what they're doing too. Right? 
I I don't know. I mean, this is an unusual looking car. Remember last week when I was complaining about the EQS and how it looks so bland? Yeah. For like a hundred thousand dollar car? Too? No, I think I don't think this is bland. It's obviously a lot less expensive, so I'm a lot more forgiving of its looks. But I I do think it it's it has a bunch of different cues in it that don't necessarily come together, if that makes sense. Okay. I don't know. It's it's an unusual kind of especially at the back. Like, does that rear of that vehicle match the front? No, the rear of the vehicle, I just need to point out, it has what I think is two spoilers back there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a shark fin antenna. Double spoilers. There's a lot of angles going on It there. has what you hate about the Elantra, too, which is that, yeah. that crease in the side. So I think this is very much an Elantra Sonata, like, rear three-quarter with yeah. a totally different front end. <laughs> um, but it uses the same eGMP des- um, platform. It has, I think, the same batteries as well, which is to say a 53-kilowatt-hour battery and a 77-kilowatt-hour battery. It's available in rear or all-wheel drive. Um, and it sounds like uh, it sounds like a pretty, you know, funky car. I think offering what is already available in the Ionic 5 in different body styles will help um, the Ionic nameplate gain more traction on the road, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I'm interested to see, like, what kind of weird family we're going to get sprouting up around this vehicle now. Now that I've seen this, you know, like, it's... Well, we have the 5, we have the 6. I don't know. They haven't said anything lower. They haven't said 4, 3, or 2, or 1. I mean, obviously, we're going to get a 1. There's got to be a we one. we got to get an Ionic 1? Ionic 1. Ionic Prime. And then there'll, there'll be a lawsuit. <laughs> From Toyota? Yeah. Um... I think it looks pretty neat. Um, the interior is still as, as good as, I think, the regular Ionic 5. I'm eager to see what it's like on the road, and it seems like it's going to be happening really soon um, in terms of sales. Uh, we've got one more car to talk about in the LA Auto Show, and then we can we can call it a day. Now, this is a big one. Are you ready for this? 2024 what? Subaru Impreza has been revealed and, and will no longer be offered with a manual or as a sedan. But there's a, there is a good there is good news here. The Impreza gets a a, a more powerful version, a two point five liter model called the RS. Okay, Ooh, I guess the problem with that, with all of that, the problem with having this RS is that it's it's um, what what where was I going with this? It's, the problem is the Crosstrek. The problem is it's automatic only. And yeah, the RS was intended to be, I mean, I own an RS. I've got a 2004 Impreza RS. And it's basically, I've talked about it on the show before, but it's, it's a WRX without the WRX engine. So you get the suspension, you get the look, it has the wide body, it has the little, well, mine doesn't have the little wing on it, which is nice. Um, but it has like the, the little scoop on the hood. And this car, this car just doesn't seem to fit in with any of that aesthetic, right? No, like, it's not an R, it is an RS in the in the badge only. It is not... I'm really annoyed by this. Like, I'm not. I'm annoyed by the fact that they went auto only. They went hatchback only, and they gave it the same engine as. Look to me, you know the Crosstrek uh, Sport. I think it's called the 2.5 liter version of the Crosstrek. Yeah. This is that just lower to the ground, and it's, it's the undercar version of the of the Crosstrek. And it's strange to me. Like, I don't understand why you would use sporting heritage to build a vehicle that is quite honestly not interesting. Like, yeah. why not call it something else? And the other odd thing is there were no RS wagons back in the day. I believe they were all called TSs. 
So the RS was only available as a sedan. Now there's no sedan, so it's only available as a wagon. It just kind of feels like they put a bunch of heritage in a blender and like hit spin. And this is what we got. I am excited that there's a new Impreza and that it still exists. I'm glad there's a little hatchback out there and that not every car company has abandoned it. I mean, Honda doesn't build these anymore. Um, With, with the fit gone now, I, I guess they, you know, the Civic is technically a hatchback. Maybe I should take that back. But uh, there are a lot of car companies uh, in North America. They're completely out of this game. So it's, it's nice to see someone sticking around. The second, most, the second most important note here is when the WRX showed up as sedan only, um, it had a lot of body cladding. A lot of body cladding. You mean the new one? Yes. Okay. This new Impreza has... Zero body cladding. Well, you got to differentiate, right? <laughs> I love that. I love that. It means to me, it, it signals to me that either there is an inconsistency in terms of design language <laughs> <laughs> or they don't know what they're doing. Well, I mean, we were just talking about Hyundai's design language and how yeah. it seems to be a little unusual. So it's possible that this is just how things are now. We can't count on anything anymore and life is meaningless or, or I should say more meaningless than it was prior to us having this conversation. Well, the final thing I want to point out is that um, anytime you see a, uh, a, an Impreza RS on the street, you will not miss it because the badge is about the size of the su- regular Subaru badge. It's huge. Where so, is I'm looking uh, for it now. On the back of the car. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a huge metal badge. It's like, pretty big. <laughs> and on the side, by the door. Um, it, there's another aspect of this car is... Does it not look a, more than a little like the Mazda 3 hatchback? Oh, yeah. No, the Mazda 3 looks smoother and, and like, like it looks cooler. I just mean the fr- the way the front end flows into the A-pillar really yes. has that kind of extended feel. Yeah, 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 I see that. And I can kind of see, like, a little bit of, like, uh, a Veloster going on at the at the rear three quarters, too. That, like, the way the, 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 the greenhouse kind of comes together. Yeah. Um, I'm not... Super stoked about this. I think the WRX offering a manual... I mean, sorry, I, I think the Impreza offering a manual in the past has been one of its um, nods to its heritage or its its market. Um, it's always been a very attainable, approachable vehicle for people who wanted the extra assurance of all-wheel drive or a manual transmission or just a low monthly payment. And I think by going um, hatchback, which is usually more expensive than the sedan... Um, automatic only, which is also more expensive than, um, the manuals usually. And then, I don't know, throwing in this, this bizarre, uh, RS trim level. I think they're, they're going away from my, what I think was the biggest asset of the Impreza. All right. So that kind of wraps up the LA Auto Show for us. Uh, we will be back next week with our regular podcast. We're gonna Wait, talk- we have one more thing we got to talk about. We had a listener send us a message about, um, a topic that we were we were having an argument. That's about. true. Very, that's a that's very hot topic. Not auto show related, but it is <laughs> yeah, not. Yes, I, I was worried that you're going to end the end the podcast. Um, so Jordan reached out to our, our listener. Jordan reached out to us, and uh, he he was reminding me of the fact that there is another Halo car out there, Sammy, that is not being built by the company that has the badge on the front. And Sammy and I had had this uh, fairly heated conversation about the Supra and how I felt that because. Toyota did not design or build the Supra that it was kind of, you know, not really a great statement to make from a company about their Halo car. And it, yes. this this conversation came about as we were discussing the Nissan Z, which is built and designed by Nissan. But if you look at the mark, I don't, the recent market, if you look at the Ford GT, this is a vehicle 
that is um, not being built by Ford. I mean, Ford designed it, so at least they have that going for it. They didn't yeah. farm it up to someone else. But it is actually being constructed by Multimatic, which is a company that builds race cars and has worked with Ford for its racing program for a very long time. And yeah. the reason, and, and not just Ford, other other automakers too. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. But we, they've done a lot with Ford, and uh, the reason for this arrangement is because Multimatic is a lot better, or at least has the facilities for working with carbon fiber in a way that Ford doesn't have. So Ford's options were outsource or build a lot of carbon fiber capability in-house for one vehicle that is going to yeah. sell in very small numbers. So they ended up going to Multimatic, but that's a really good point. Uh, Jordan also pointed out that way back in the 60s, I believe that the original Ford GT, the GT40 was being built in England. Oh, and yeah. I'm not sure if it was being built by Ford of, of England or if it was being built under contract to someone there, but it was repatriated to the U.S. for the first generation Ford GT and then taken away again to be built by Multimatic. So there's a lot going on with this car. That is true. I mean, it's always good to look at those histories. And if that's if that sort of, um, you know, those facts about where a car or who's making a car um, come to come to you this way. I mean, it, it's just cool history, I think. Yeah, I agree. So uh, we, as I as I mentioned before, um, we'll be back next week with a regular episode. Uh, I will be talking about the um, GMC Denali, the Sierra Denali Ultimate, actually, which is the result of a very very hurried redesign on the part of General Motors. And Sammy, what are you going to be talking about? Uh, I had the Ionic Five, and uh, I went to go and test out a bunch of my local DC fast charging stations. And boy, do I have a report for oh, you! Oh yeah, that's right. You almost died. Okay, so <laughs> we we will have an exciting episode next week. Um, if you want to hear that episode or make sure that you hear that episode, you can subscribe to our podcast by going to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You there are a whole bunch of podcatchers that are listed there. You click on the buttons, you subscribe to them, or you can just search for Unnamed Automotive Podcast in your favorite podcast service. We are pretty much everywhere and that's the easiest way to find us if you want to get in touch with us sammy and ask us a question like or or help us out with some information like jordan did how would you do that well there is a contact form on the website um you just hit contact at the top you fill out the form and it lands in our inbox it's very easy another way to land in our inbox is to just send us an email the old-fashioned way it's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com and lastly you can reach out to us on social media you can find ben on instagram he's at hunting benjamin and you can find me on Twitter, assuming Twitter still exists, at Sammy underscore high like you're laughing. All right. And if you want to uh, support us, you can do that on our, at our Ko-Fi site, ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.